Psalm number 27. Some great verses in here that we're going to go over. In a message that I take right from the first verse, whom shall I fear? Verse 1, Psalm 27 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. That's a great verse right there. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, and he shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in the plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, and lest I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. This is what we get, of course, from the Bible in general. This is what we get from the Psalms. And last night as I was going to sleep, I was meditating on that 14th verse. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What stood out to me in the 14th verse, and I want to accent that first in the message here today, was the fact that he's not just saying to wait on Christ, but he's saying to be of good courage. And that's difficult to do when you're having troubles. Physical troubles, psychological troubles, spiritual troubles, all of the above. It's hard to be courageous. And it reminded me of what God told Joshua. He said, be strong and of good courage. Make sure the book is always in your mouth meditate on it day and night and then you'll have good success in the first chapter of Joshua it reminded me there in the 14th verse of Psalm 27 he said be of good courage which once again that's difficult to do when you're frightened when Satan is whispering in your ear you're not saved which is by the way that's just a classic tactic of Satan it's been around forever or you're having thoughts go through your mind in my case, I just told you, over the course of the last month, three people I know, well, two of them I know very, very well, kept in constant contact with them on social media primarily, who always gave thumbs up to my devotionals, believed on the Lord. Then another that I also had a conversation with some years back on the phone. I went to school with all of them. I grew up with all these people. And then one by one, over the last month, three people, two of them close to me, I mean, in respect of friendship, are gone. So all of a sudden, you know, you have a problem yourself, and what goes through your mind? Well, so-and-so, he passed away, and so-and-so passed away, and you know that those things come to your mind. And so it's difficult to take courage, and especially it's difficult to take courage when you either, number one, are all alone, or number two, you feel all alone. And I know that there's many in here that know what I'm talking about. I shared this on my broadcast this past week, how you can be in a crowd of people, including a church meeting, and yet feel isolated, feel lonely. Accent the word feel. 
It doesn't mean you are alone. It's your emotions. You feel that way. Yet here, David, as you saw when we read through, in the middle of the psalm, he's asking God not to leave me and don't forsake me and help me. But he starts out with a positive affirmation of our faith, as well as, of course, David's faith, that the Lord is my light and my salvation. Now, you can already guess what the theme is here. He's facing real enemies out there that are trying to physically kill him. We face real enemies as well in the form of sickness, disease, other things. Most of us are concerned as Americans about what's going to become of our country. And the media, of course, feeds into that by telling you, I had this discussion this week as well, telling you that America's going to go broke and all the seniors are not going to have money. It's the same old thing. The media makes money and they attract attention based on playing on your fears or playing on your prejudice, your political prejudice. Or if you have, God forbid, and God help you if you do, racial prejudice, they play on that. They've been playing us. Me, I don't play. I don't go for these things. I don't fall for them because I know that they're ploys. And behind all of it is a figure that we meet in the Bible from early on in Genesis chapter 3 called Satan. And in Ephesians chapter 6, we learn that we're not really wrestling against people. Behind these people, wickedness, we read it here, it's a lot in the Bible, wicked people, are being manipulated by this one whom we know and it's revealed to us as Satan. He comes to your house. He comes to church meetings frequently, whom we are taught to resist steadfast in the faith. If he never showed up, we wouldn't have to resist. If we were never frightened, we wouldn't have to take courage. If God showed up exactly when we wanted him to show up, which would always be pretty much immediately, we wouldn't have to wait. Waiting is one of the most difficult things to do when you're distressed. Courage is one of the most difficult things to do when you are discouraged. I covered that last week. Discouraged, a self-explanatory word. The antidote for that is to take courage. And that's done by an act of the will. So as we go through this psalm, I want you to just look at what is being said here. Because the first question that is asked in this psalm is, Whom shall I fear? In David's case, there's all types of enemies of Israel. There is today as well. As there is in every nation has its enemies. Certainly America does too. Whom shall I fear when the Lord is my light? I quoted earlier. I want to quote it again now. In John 17, 17, Jesus says, Father, sanctify them. They're in the world, and you're not taking them out of the world just yet, but pull them apart from the world. Sanctify them in thy truth. Thy word is truth. No matter what God speaks on, thy word, his word, is truth. So when we talk about feelings and emotions which accompany our life every day of our life, and particularly when we're upset about something, distressed about something, the emotions start to come in. And I would contend, and I would argue that emotions can become our enemy because we are, well, as it says in the book of Jonah, those that believe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. God is reaching out. God is trying to help. God is trying to heal. God is trying to deliver. And we're deep in our emotions. It could be anger or fear or anything that's related to those two things or frustrations and all of this. But if the Lord is truly your light, you should be able to say, just as the text says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Can you name someone? That's kind of what we could put in the text there. Can you name someone that I'm supposed to be afraid of when the Lord is the light of my life and the Lord is the strength of my life? And notice here, as may not be apparent to you at first read, it's not the structure of a church, the administration of a church, certainly not the pastor and the deacons. It's the Lord himself. It's that personal relationship that we talk about. The Lord is the strength of my life. You understand, I'm sure, intellectually and intuitively, that I'm just a man. And I understand that you're just men and women, you're just people. And we have limitations. We have a place where we can say, you know what? I can't go any further. This is it. But God has no limitations at all. None. None whatsoever. And that's what you must see. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Nothing. You 
bring to your mind today whatever you want, whatever you're struggling with. We all have something. Bring it to mind today and ask yourself, is this too hard for God? And of course the answer is no. But what are your emotions telling you? Your intellect is telling you, well, I know no one can compare to the Lord. But now I want you to get in touch with your emotions. And don't pretend you don't have them because we all have them. Some of us are better at cloaking them and hiding them than others, but we all have them. Things that upset us, trouble us, make us afraid. And what happens is that we wind up listening to this, to the emotions. If you want to compound that problem with Satan's whispering through the emotions or on top of your emotions, then have at it. But we have to decide who we're going to listen to. Throughout the Bible, all of the patriarchs, all of the men and women named in it and those that wrote it said, the Lord himself is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? This is more than just a theoretical question. It's the question of our life. What are you afraid of today? And don't tell me that you're not afraid because everybody is afraid. Every single person has moments when they're in doubt or fear. We all struggle with the same thing. But if you're going to listen to your emotions, you're going to be defeated. If you listen to the word of God, you're going to have success. Let me go back to Joshua chapter 1. God already knew what Joshua was going to face and the Apostle Paul and so many people. But in Joshua's case, the first chapter, he accents to Joshua repeatedly, be of good courage. Don't let your strength fail. Believe, trust, meditate in the word day and night, take courage and so on. And I'm certain that Joshua had some kind of a clue as to what he was facing. He spent 40 years with Moses, but he didn't know precisely what the future held other than they were going to conquer, they were commanded to conquer the land. He didn't know precisely what the future held, and neither do you. We have a glimpse in everything, in Bible prophecy, principles of scripture, but we have an idea, a very general concept of what we are definitely going to face as believers in Christ. But we don't know all the specifics. And let me say something else. We have a way of, I'm going to say as Christians especially, we have a way of thinking what has happened to other people don't happen to me until it happens to you. And I do believe that so many of our preachers on the television and radio have helped to forward this type of unprincipled thinking. Christians don't have problems. Christians don't get depressed. Christians are never anxious. And it's not said directly so much as it's implied. And you leave with the impression that you were meant to leave with. Look at me, I'm the preacher. I don't have any problem. What's wrong with your faith? That's not stated as much as it's implied. But believe me, as a preacher of many, many years tenure, and I sat with some of the big names at one time, and I sat with them long enough to know that's not what I want to be. And I went down another path, this path. I'm just simply saying that we all struggle with this, and we call it a deception. What has happened to other people will never happen to me. Just like Peter, who said, others may defect from the faith, but I'll never defect from the faith. Won't be me. He was the first to go. The first one to go. Others may defect from the faith, but not me. You know me. My prayer life is strong, and my time with you is strong, and I'm your closest apostle. That may be a debatable point, but Peter often spoke that way. And he was the first to defect. Listen, faith cannot be faith unless it's tested. How do you get a degree in school, whether it's high school, two-year college, four-year college, master's program, doctorate? You've got to take tests. And surprise, surprise, you have to pass the tests to move on. This is why I register a complaint of people who are many years in the Lord that didn't seem to grow much at all. Didn't seem like they learned anything. It's not that they don't know the Bible verses that gave them knowledge. It's that they didn't practice to give them experience. Once you have experience, you can go on with the knowledge that's here that you can read because you say to yourself, I've proved God again and again and again. And so we start off with the word whom, but you could easily substitute the word what. You could also put in the word where. You can put in any interrogative, and the answer comes back to this. The Lord is my light, and he is my salvation. He's my way out, and he's the strength of my life. 
Of whom shall I be afraid? First we start with whom. Verse 2, David testifies about God's protection. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. So it's not like, let's put Satan aside for a second. It's not like people don't have an intention. Some wicked people have every intention of ruining your relationship with God or tearing you down one way or the other. I've had it many, many times over where the intent was to take away credibility from my ministry, of my character, and they stumbled and they fell. And that only happens, by the way, when you play by the rules, when you are the real deal. Doesn't mean that they're not gonna attempt to come to eat up your flesh, so to speak. But when they do, God will cause them to stumble and fall one way or the other. So there's protection. I'll ask you the question again. There's troubles in your life. I know so many, many of you and your, the details of your life have been your pastor a long time. For many of you, most of you. What are you listening to today? What is written here or your emotions? And not that emotions aren't part of our makeup. Of course they are. But they can become your worst enemy. And I explain this in detail on my show when I deal with the subject of anxiety and depression. That once you engage in the emotional aspect of frustrations with uh, adding fear to that and anger to that, you make the condition even worse. It's a Chinese handcuff. I can remember distinctly the first time I was introduced to a Chinese handcuff. Little boy, somebody brought it at the joke store. Put your hand in there and pull your way out. So I tried. And the more I pulled, the tighter it got. And I can remember as a little kid getting a little bit panicky because I think now I'm really truly stuck. So I'm pulling and pulling and the adults are having a laugh because they know that the harder I pull, I'm not getting out of this thing. So finally, could have been my grandfather, I think. And they said, just relax and just pull it out nice and easy now the came. Life doesn't always work out that way, but it is like a Chinese handcuff. The harder you pull and let your emotions take control over your physical symptoms, marital problems, your relationship with God. Do you realize your emotions can cloud the interpretation of the Bible? And I'm not talking about becoming a scholar. I'm just talking about the plain text. You're emoting over the text and not exegeting the text. Letting the text say what it says, regardless of what you feel. There's protection in the Lord. And David goes on further in verse 3. He says, though a host should encamp against me, which means he's outnumbered, my heart shall not fear. That does not say my heart won't be tempted to fear. What he's saying here is I will not give in to the fear. How many of you are in a position today when the problems around you are more than the answers that you can supply? How many? I'm often put in a position, just because I'm both husband, father, and pastor, of having more questions than I have answers. I don't have all the answers. And so I feel outnumbered. I don't know. Sometimes I really don't know what to do. Like I explained Jehoshaphat last week. We have no might against this company because they're greater and more in number than we are. And we don't know what to do. You would expect a king who has the law, whose commandment, by the way, was to write out his own personal text of the law. That's what kings of Israel were supposed to do. And he says, we don't know what to do. Flippant, naive, inexperienced people would come along and say, hey, you got the Bible. And they give you these trite, hackneyed expressions that really don't work, mainly because they have no experience. But if you've ever suffered with anything, you have empathy with those that do because you have experienced it yourself. And let me say something further. If you're going to walk straight with the Lord, you're going to experience the depth of certain sufferings. And you're going to experience the emotions that rise up against you like, like an angry sea. And you find the billows over your head. Waves are coming and crashing over your head. But yet God is on the shore saying you're going to be safe. Or even you are safe. Now you either, like Peter again, you either believe what you see, or you believe the word of the Lord whom you cannot see. To him, immortal, invisible, almighty God. God is invisible to us at the moment. So we see what we see, but we believe whom we cannot see. We believe in the Lord. David says, even if I'm outnumbered, I will not permit my heart to fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. He's outnumbered, but not overcome. Do you believe right now 
And I'm not sure of the answer here. In our country, which is America, do you believe right now, and I certainly those who watch, uh, many of my friends who've become friends over the last year or two from various nations around the world, and I won't mention them because there's some heavy persecution going on in those nations, they are definitely outnumbered. I just received a request for prayer the other day where this man from a certain country is asking, he said, we are outnumbered. That's not his exact words, but that's what he meant. The other religion around them is looking to kill them. And David had the same thing. And he said, even though that happens to me, even though I'm outnumbered, I will not be overcome. Why? Because the Lord whom I cannot see, who's invisible, he's my light and he's my salvation. And this I submit to you once again, like the illustration I give you of a push-up, it's simple to explain. More difficult to do so many of them consecutively. To believe in the Lord is a simple concept, but it's not all that easy because God, we cannot see him. But he reveals himself in the word. And then once again, let me add, once you have experience with God and you've walked with the Lord and you've seen his deliverance again and again and again. And if you can remember in your trial that he's delivered you, though he made you wait, that's the 14th verse, he will come through again. And let me say something else. Even if you were to die, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Or again from the Apostle Paul, he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what I wrote a friend of mine last night when he texted me about the death of a mutual friend. We all grew up together. I said, I know that he was a believer. I know because I talked to him. He's in heaven. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. But like we sang, let me just interject this. Like we sang in this song. Are you able today to say to God, search me, see if there's any wicked way in me. And when he points it out, what it is to say, God, free me from this. Free me from this habit. Free me from doing this thing that you said not to do. Do you have the honesty, the humility, and the courage to go before God and admit that you have sinned? Okay, that's the humility part. And that's the honesty part. But to also believe God that he is not only able, but of course it's his will to deliver us from this. And here's one for everybody. For God has not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If I was to ask any one of you here, as I asked a man that I know, I'm not going to call him a friend, but we're very friendly. We talk. He's had a lot of back problems, neck problems, back problems. I said, well, you know, stress does this. And he, he swears he has no stress. And I told him, you're the first person I've ever met in my entire life that has no stress. It's impossible. I don't really believe him, but I'm not going to contradict him and argue with him either. I don't stress. It's impossible. Everybody does. Everybody does. That's emotion. But what do you do with your emotion compared to what this text says? And hopefully you have enough experience walking with the Lord to say, God has delivered me in the past many times over. And he will deliver me again. I told my wife this yesterday at dinner, and this is true. It's a lot easier to be an irresponsible person than to be a responsible person. Where would I feel more comfortable today? In my recliner. Yeah, with an open Bible, a couple nods off, whatever. But where am I? I'm here in the pulpit preaching to you, which is less comfortable than where I would like to be. But we have got to give up this cult of comfort and realize that to follow the Lord is going to be a rough road, as he said. And to not give in to our emotions, but to stand on the word of God and what it says. And one more time, if you have experience and you gain experience with the Lord, you're hooked. God will continue to deliver you again and again and again. It is, and I say this to you with compassion, it is forever a frustration to me to watch people who got 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And they actually talk about like, oh, I've been 40 years in the Lord. I've been 40 years in the way. I've been 40 years in the ministry. And the truth of it is, at best, you've been one time, one year in the Lord, 40 times. You're going in circles like Israel did in the wilderness. I, for one, don't want to go in circles. My dog chases his tail. I don't know if your dog chases his tail or her tail. But my dog does that just for entertainment. And most dogs do. But he's not going anywhere except in a circle, burning some energy. 
God has not given, if you have a spirit of fear, the one thing you can rule out where it did not come from, it did not come from the Lord that wrote this book. It's coming from another source which we need to resist and reject. Look at verse 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. This is real wisdom now. That will I seek after. One thing. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I've narrowed down my life to one thing. I want to see God. When that becomes your primary goal, to serve the Lord with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, all the strength, knowing you're going to be tested, knowing you're going to be challenged. Don't be, I don't know that you would be, don't be foolish enough to think you're going through the ropes to face an opponent who you expect to beat the way you beat the heavy bag, because he or she is going to be hitting back. They are just as intent at winning the fight. And Satan is just as intent at winning you as Christ is, just to give an analogy. The beauty of it is, is that Christ is Christ. He's God come in the flesh, and Satan is not. They're both intent on winning us, and we have to choose which way we're going to go. But we must realize that there's going to be a fight. It's going to take place on the battleground of the mind. And fear comes, and then you can say to yourself, well, this isn't coming from God. And I just want to exhort you Christians that have been in the Lord for a while, don't go around chasing your tail and then telling everybody, well, I've been 40 years in the Lord, when the fact may be that you've been maybe six months in the Lord, 80 times, or one year in the Lord, 40 times. Go straight, go forward, and you'll make progress. One thing, that's called focus. David was focused. Verse 5, for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. It's a good thing to be hidden from trouble. Now, we're not exempt from it. That point's already been made. But in the time of real trouble that could take us away, he'll hide us. And then we go into the New Testament and we find this. For your life is hidden with Christ in God. Here's the beauty of it. Satan comes looking for you and you're hidden with Christ. I mean, it's really ironic because it's the polar opposite of when God was looking for Adam. Where are you? He knew. Where are you? I'm hiding from God. Now, in the New Testament, God says, I'm going to hide you from Satan. How many of you remember the little rascals? And somebody's looking for them and they're hiding in the chicken coop. And they're saying, cluck, cluckety, cluck. Remember that? <laughs> Who's in there? One of them cries out, nobody but us chickens. <laughs> now you've been found out. <laughs> Satan knows that you're hid in Christ. What he's trying to do is draw you out of him. I don't even mean like permanently out for salvation. I'm talking just draw you out of his protection. Out from underneath the umbrella of protection. That place where you're safe. And the only place you're safe is deep inside you. That no matter what you feel, no matter what you go through, you can say, in the time of trouble, he's going to hide me. Amen. Even though the New Testament says we are already hidden with Christ in God. Amen. Let me just say something here in a casual way. There's one preacher, you've heard him probably. I've heard him say that in every sermon he always tells people it's going to be all right. For me, that would depend on who you're talking to and what do you mean by that. For some people, it's not going to be all right. But for those that trust in Christ and really stay hid with Christ in God, it's going to be all right. But don't be dumb enough when Satan says, calls your name to say, here I am. Come out here. I want to talk to you. Then what is he going to fill your mind with? Well, you know that. You know what he's going to fill your mind with. I happened to get looped into watching the end of the Notre Dame game again last night. Don't worry, they won. And the commercial comes on that was so vile and filthy. And I didn't DVR it, so I couldn't fast forward it. So I endured it to watch the end of the game. For those of you who do watch television, I watch very little television. Very, very little. And it's everything I program, with the exception of maybe a football game. So I know what I'm watching. I know what to expect. I'm not surprised. But occasionally I may watch something I didn't watch before, DVR'd it. I can't believe what I'm seeing. And Satan is calling my name at that point in time. Say, come on out. I want you to get really angry at this or fearful of it. But you got to be smart enough to say, I am hid with Christ and God, and that's where I'm staying. I'm staying under his protection. I'm staying under his promises. I'm staying in his word. I'm staying in the closet of prayer. 
And even like the three Hebrew boys where Nebuchadnezzar heated up the furnace seven times hotter, I'm paraphrasing, interpolating, putting words in their mouth, they said, wouldn't matter to us if you heated up 70 times. We're not bowing down to you or your statue or your songs or your music. We're not bowing down. So if we die, we die. Esther had to go into her own husband. And she had no special privilege other than what was extended to anybody. If you interrupt the king during a meeting, if he extends the golden scepter, you live. But if he doesn't, you interrupted him, you're dead. And she went in not knowing if her own husband would have took her life for interrupting one of his, we'll call it a business meeting. And she said to Mordecai, she says, I'll go in. And if I perish, I perish. Once you've gotten to that point, that you're not afraid to die in Christ. What else can frighten you? But thankfully God prolongs the life of those that trust in him. With long life will I satisfy him and accomplish the numbers of your days. Don't be dumb enough when Satan calls your name through fear, emotions, anger. To say, oh, yeah, I'm right here. And play by his rules. You will definitely lose. Play by the rules given to us by Christ. He shall set me, I'm still in verse 5, he shall set me up upon a rock. It's a good place to be above the trouble. And now shall my head be lifted above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now, I like to sing and spend a lot of time doing it just in private. I may have told you this story some years ago. You know, when you put your earbuds in or headphones, if you are like me and you sing out loud, as some people do, I don't realize sometimes how loud I'm actually singing. I've told people in the gym who hear me singing, I said, you know, the good news is about you don't have to bring your earbuds or your headphones to the gym. I take requests. <laughs> well, I'm on the rowing machine one day and I'm rowing and this woman got off and she was in a huff. She's no bigger than a minute. She's little bitty thing. She stood over me. She said, you really just sing it so loud God could hear you through my headphones? I didn't realize that I was. I said, really? I just kept rowing. And yes, yes, you're singing so loud. Okay, sorry. But I have to confess, my fault. As soon as you get back on the treadmill, I went back to singing. <laughs> Maybe that's not right. Maybe you judge it as not right, but I'm not letting somebody take my joy. I wasn't bothering anybody. I wasn't bothering her. I wasn't saying, hey, you got to sing what I'm singing. And it couldn't have been that loud. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. That's what we do here at 10 a.m. Do not skip the music service. We've got one fellow here who plays multiple instruments. He plays the guitars on the drums. He sings. I like him. And we are the Senior Citizen Silver String Submarine Band. We may be old, but we still have it. And don't neglect to sing unto the Lord. This is not a lecture. The singing prepares us. The prayer meeting at 930 prepares us for the singing, which prepares us for the preaching of the word. This is not a lecture. This is not a college. This is not a university. It's the church of the living God. Give him your all. The same way you, I, presumably you do at work. Give him your all on the Lord's day. And you won't regret it. Well, let's look at verse number seven. Here O oh Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. Then verse 8. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. So that's called obedience and compliance. Now you, many of you know here that one of my foundational verses in my life, 2 Timothy 1.7 is a great one. God has not given you the spirit of fear. Are you fearful and nervous and all that stuff? Watch my Oasis broadcast. I explain physiology and what goes on with the nervous system and the brain, the brain-body connection. Here, I don't do that. But you must know that God didn't give you that spirit of fear. But here, my foundational verse for the last, getting closer to 50 years, has been Psalm 34.4. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. And that was, in a moment of time, or a moment of David's life when he really wasn't his best. He's defeated Goliath. He's defeated the Philistines. He's defeated a lot of enemies. But when it comes to this Gentile king, the only plan that he could think of is to act and pretend he was crazy. Foaming at the mouth, spitting on his beard. So that the king looks at him 
and says to him, what do I have to do with him? He's out of his mind. Get him out of my sight. And they thrust him out. And then he writes the 34th Psalm. I sought the Lord. I can't say, I can't contradict scripture, but I don't think that God said, here's your plan. Act crazy. <laughs> I think God was merciful with him and saying, okay, no matter what's going on here, I'm going to deliver my son. I'm going to deliver my son. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. You lift up your head, you sing, and you seek the Lord who is invisible. We understand he's invisible? So that becomes a difficulty because the just shall live by their faith. Now, just to give you an example, I just register this to you that are older who were fans of this comedian. George Carlin was not only an atheist, he was downright vile. I don't mean vile in his vulgar when he told jokes about swimming in the Hudson River, because he's a New Yorker, where he was. I mean, I saw him do a skit on God and the Ten Commandments that it was not short of blasphemy, it was blasphemy. Yet he's always enjoyed a clever comedian. He was ultra-left. You can Google this for yourself, do a search. You don't have to use Google. I've heard him speak about Christians, and it wasn't complimentary, although some of it was true, I've got to admit. But it wasn't complimentary. What's so funny about a man who has the temerity, how does he enjoy a reputation as a good comedian with Christians? He should not. If you've not researched him, research him. He was not only an atheist, that's one thing, but he was bold and aggressive in his so-called comedy in blaspheming God. And it's out there for you to view. I'm not recommending that you do, but it's there. So when we come to the Lord, we have to come to this place where we understand that when God says, seek my face, we seek him. It doesn't matter what other people do. I never finished this thought. I really do wonder, I know on paper how many people in America profess to be Christians. It's still the majority, so we're a Christian nation. But I wonder how many enemies we're actually surrounded by in our own country. I don't know the number. I, I truly don't. But this much I do know. We may be outnumbered the way Israel was on so many occasions, but we will not be overcome if we make our stand in the Lord. And even if he leads us through the valley of the very shadow of death, we decide not to fear. The valley of the shadow of death is a fearful place. It's a fearful place. And every demon from hell comes at that moment to say to you, you're not going to heaven. This has all been a joke. And God didn't answer your prayer. And on, on, on. And you need to stand up. And you need to say, get thee behind me, Satan. I believe the Lord. And like the three Hebrew children... Even though I go into the furnace that's seven times hotter than it was originally, God is going with me. And you know that story. The king comes down to see what's going on with three kids, teenagers, that are in the furnace, but they're not burning. And when he looks in, he counts one, two, three, and a fourth, whose appearance is like the Son of God. Amen. Jesus said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Amen. Though that's at times how you feel. You feel lonely. Well, you actually may be lonely. You feel anger. You feel this. You feel that. Emotions, which are good at times, only if they play into good. But they could be your worst enemy. And they'll surround your mind and the devil just comes out and you come out of hiding in Christ. And he just, he will devastate you. Torment you is the word. He will torment you. If today you can honestly say to me, send me a text, send me an email. Don't worry about me, Pastor. I like being tormented. <laughs> well, then just keep coming out and listen to a preacher that preaches for an hour. I'll torment you. No one wants to be tormented. And so then we read in 1 John 4, 18, where God says to us through the Apostle John, and I'll paraphrase it for you. I'm just taking liberty. He says that we should not fear because whoever is fearful is not made perfect in love. Who's love? Well, I think it's both, really. But more so, I would say, we have no confidence that God actually loves us. And if God actually loves us, a good parent does whatever they can to spare their children from anything they can that's harmful. But a perfect parent is in God. And if he loves us, then... What shall we say unto these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer is no one. No one. Daniel's in the lion's den. 
That should have put an end to Daniel. And I don't know precisely what he was doing all night long other than praying. But when the king went there in the morning, Oh, Daniel, was your God able to deliver you? And Daniel says, Long live the king. <laughs> and the lions just laid down. Threw down the guys and set them up. The lions ate them right up. Do you believe these things? Yes. Well, they're just stories. Tell your children and grandchildren. When you believe them, you see it with your eyes. You see God come through. You see God do wonderful things for you. Look at verse 10. If every person you're close to forsook you, including your father and your mother. Now, for some of you, maybe most of you, I should say, it's not likely that your father or your mother, if they're still alive, is going to forsake you. But sometimes they do, and I've met these cases. I knew a man whose mother gave him up, him and his brother, for adoption. They went to two separate homes. And he stayed bitter for many, many years. So I advised him, write to your mom. He knew where she was. Write to your mom and just say, hey, mom, I forgive you for what you did. There was reasons and all that. Wrote to his mother, who should have had some sense of maternal guilt. Wrote him back and said, I have nothing to be guilty of. I've never loved you. I've never wanted you. My advice was good advice, but her response was so wicked and ungodly. What we expect that when we sow good things into people, good things come back from people. And here is a real revelation. It's not always so. People you treat right or righteously don't always repay you the favor, but God cannot lie because God will always repay us with the good that we sow in his name. When my father and mother forsake me, even if everybody forsakes me, even the mother that gave me birth, God will take me up. Amen. So we're never alone. Verse 11, teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. This is an ongoing instruction of what I'm going to call the forever disciple. Some of you here, in fact, I told a friend of mine just recently, I have a good church, they read the Bible. But never reach the point where you think you know everything about the Bible. My experience after 46, getting closer to, it's actually a little bit longer than 46. 46 I've been in ministry, but reading the Bible longer. The more I read, the more I realize how much I don't understand. <laughs> That's my experience. Don't you get to the point where you're the know-it-all person to stay humble, receive the engrafted word with meekness, and then you'll grow. But here we must be a forever learner, a forever disciple, always learning the ways of the Lord, going over the lesson where we made mistakes, learning new things, and so forth. Be a forever disciple. Be a forever pupil. Verse 12 says, Deliver me not over unto my enemies that are raised up against me and their false witnesses. Now, many of you have a pure heart, and you can't imagine that someone would be either in a court of law or in your community that will actually purposely lie about you. Now, I've had it happen to me. You've had it happen to you in a court of law. I haven't had it in a court of law, but I've had it in the community purposely saying something that's wrong. Whereas when they meet me and they say, well, you know what I heard? I said, no, I don't know what you heard. What did you hear? So it's not even true. Purposely lying. These are the things for the pure of heart and sometimes a bit naive. Well, I was naive for many years. These things, people don't do that, but the book says they do it. False witnesses saying the wrong things about you that are not true, and they breathe out cruelty. That may surprise you as well, that some people, and presumably everybody in here is looking out for the welfare of everybody else. It's not all the same all the way out there. Some people want you to fail. Some people want you to fall, and they want you to fall hard. And then they want to say to you, as they did to the psalmist, so where is your God? Where's your God now? You're in trouble and all that. What are you going to say? I will wait upon the Lord and I will be of good courage. I got to wait, but I'll wait because he shall strengthen my heart. For me, I actually believe this. I'm in the Bronx many years ago and we had a guest that day and I was preaching like I am now. And when I greeted him after we were walking down the stairs outside the church, he said, I really enjoyed your acting today. I didn't even pick up at the time whether he was serious or thought my drama, my personality was dramatic and he liked that. I still don't know. And I told him this. I said, yeah, that's good. I said, but the only thing about it is I wasn't acting. I really believe this. I truly believe this. But like you, I'm tempted to be fearful. I hear voices, well, not psychosis. I, I hear voices just like you do, whispering in your ear. And if you're not alert, that bores a hole into your brain. Before you know it, it's growing. It's a weed. Before you know it, you've got a weed there growing next to God's plants. And it's choking out the seeds of the word of God. 
Now you got troubles. So the eternal vigilance is the price of victory. Always be conscious of what am I thinking? What are you thinking? And that's a good question for you this morning. What are you thinking? You think because we salute a flag and we have a flag, which for me, I can't say enough about how much I love this country. But do you think that's what's protecting us? Not at all. I support our veterans. I'm a back the blue guy. It's not chariots and horses. It's not our flag that's protecting us. It's not even our constitution. There's many people who want to undo it and people that just simply undo it without changing the constitution. Our protection comes from God. Amen. Our protection comes from the Lord. Have you ever had this experience? I had fainted means I would have fainted. I lost all strength. Have you ever been at a point where you've lost your strength? Where you're at your wit's end. You just don't know what to do. Have you been at a point where you're under chronic stress and it brings you to a place where you can honestly say, I'm about to faint. I mean, I'm about to just lose it. But here he says something that you want to take note of. I'll put in the word would. I would have fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that refers to being here on earth. The goodness of the Lord. Me, I read the news, you know, I don't watch it. I'm not watching people arguing, yelling, screaming. I don't care if they're conservatives or liberals. It amps me up. It makes me frustrated and angry. So I read. I read headlines. I read enough to get the idea, and I move on. Now, you don't want to do that because you read the paper cover to cover. That's your thing. Fine. I just need to know enough what's going on. Something that's interesting. It's going to relate to a message or to my life. I may read the whole thing because I'm not letting someone manipulate my mind. I'm not letting someone manipulate my brain on either end. I want to know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And we have come to a place in time, and will come to a place in time in our personal lives, that you say, I can't go on. But I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in this land right here. Because remember, as far as I understand heaven... When we get on the other side, we will never have to go to Jesus and say, I need you to heal me. There'll be no more sickness or disease. Not a tear will be shed. You won't visit an inmate because, and again, this is as far as I understand heaven, which I think this is pretty much makes sense. There's no jails. There's no thieves. There's no lock on any doors. There is no extraneous music that's offensive not only to your ears, but to the principles of music And on and on and on. Where do we need to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living? Right here. Right here. Do you feel that way today? I told you I had two choices today. Actually three. I chose to be here. Despite what I felt. Because I believe the Lord. I truly believe the Lord. And he will take care of me. And he will take care of you. You ready to faint? Some of you are. Maybe not all of you, but some of you are. Don't, I mean, please forgive me. I'm too blunt when I say it this way, but don't be one of them people that just say things, you know. Ah, me, I'm always strong. I don't know anybody who's always strong. Never met them. In any sport, any athletic endeavor, always strong? That this doesn't happen. You get to the place where you're so exhausted that you say, I'm going to faint if I don't see the goodness of the Lord. If I don't feel his touch, if I don't see his miraculous power, if I don't see him come through, I can't go on anymore. And I believe that that is representative of some of you that are here today. The question is, what are you going to do? You're going to keep going deeper into your emotions and emoting all over the place? Or deeper into the word and make your stand? Now, the emotions, the way I put it here is, my mind is always good. It's above deck. But below deck, that's another story. There's storms going on and organs going all over the place. Muscles that are spastic, it goes spasms and tight and whatever else. Same thing you get. Try to keep my mind steady steadfast, looking at the Lord. Let the storm do whatever it's going to do. Your chances of getting healed and delivered and lifted up and all of these things. Let me read it to you. Isaiah 40, some favorite verses for all of us. Isaiah 40, 28. Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Now, I just read you a verse where David said, I would have fainted. But the Lord never faints. Neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. Look at verse 29 if you're with me in Isaiah 40. He gives power to the faint. 
I had fainted if I didn't believe I see the goodness of the Lord. He gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. So for those of us who are older, we get the comparison. Even young people will get tired before an old man who knows the Lord and trusts the Lord will wear out. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Amen. And that is the truth. Do you believe it? Amen. You come in here today. And this happens. I can't say every Sunday. But it happens very frequently as a preacher. And someone will say to me. It was like you were talking just right to me. If you today are in that position, that's a good position to be in. Some of you came in here today, you are literally at your wit's end. You don't know what to do. And here's the truth. Sometimes there is nothing else to do. But then the Lord will take you up. Have you been forsaken? I've been forsaken by a lot of friends. Well, I thought they were friends. Former friends. No matter. Not that it didn't hurt, but no matter. The Lord takes me up. You came in here today with a burden in your heart. Now are you going to look at the invisible God by faith and take courage and believe and trust for deliverance for your situation? That onus is on you. As for me, I will continue to believe the Lord no matter what. Father, I pray today because only you know the hearts of your people. I know what I see and I know what I hear, what little I know and what little I hear. But only you know the hearts of your people. And I pray today, Father God, that in Jesus' name, you will touch them and encourage them to go straight with you. I pray against deception that you can break God's rules and still God's going to come through. When you said, seems like a million times, you won't come through. Help us to play by the rules. And then let those that are faint in heart think on Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. He gives power to the faint. And to those that have no might, he increases strength. Help us and teach us to wait on you, God, and be of good courage. Today, I ask you to pour out of your spirit on this congregation, those that are watching by way of our live streaming and those that are listening on the radio. I ask you today in Jesus' name, strengthen each and every one, a fresh anointing, new oil, touch them, fill them, strengthen them, that they may mount up with wings as eagles. They may run and not grow weary, walk and not grow faint. Pour out your spirit, God. Help your people today. And God, I thank you by faith, that you're doing it right now. Right now, lifting up the spirit, lifting up the soul, touching the body. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor today. Father, we thank you and bless you for your goodness to us and all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.